Hello, adorable boy cyborgs. This is the Adorable Boy Podcast, and we are happy to be here with you. Loving life, loving podcasting, giving you quality content. So much to do today. Uh, let's see. Let's, oh, okay. Yeah, I did want to start off. Um, if you've been following the show, there's an obsessed podcaster who apparently has made friends with someone else who is obsessed with me. Um, and I, my social media team was communicating with them, and then I finally did a spaces with one of them, with the obsessed podcaster's friend, because the obsessed podcaster is, um, well, everyone knows Potato, and he is um, too scared to talk to me or to step to this, as the kids would say, I believe. Um, so his friend, I think his name is Max Bedroom. Um, we had a Twitter spaces, it was just him and I, and I was expecting, I have the recording um, I was expecting something at least a little bit entertaining. Um, but I, this guy is kind of, I don't know if his, his IQ is just really in the basement. Um, because he's, he's obviously best friends with potato. I think they have sleepovers. Um, and yet he's trying to convince me that he's on my side. He, they want to get me into spaces where he controls it as if he's, um, unbiased. It's just really stupid. And I hate to bore you with it. And that's why I'm not going to bore you with the phone call. Um, he asked me some stupid questions that, I mean, were already answered or, you know, or he asked me one question about one of our social media posts and I, you know, I told him, bro, listen, bro, that's what I said, put on an accent because it was important. Um, you got to talk to the social media team. You got to talk to the production team. I don't know that stuff. I don't even know who does that stuff. I think they collaborate a lot, but, um, I did, I wanted to play a, a clip he had on, um, on, potatoes podcast because uh, my social media team brought it to me um actually frank and beans brought this one to me but um my voicemail wasn't working when i was talking to him so i'll play it here and i know he listens and i know potato listens uh this is from potato podcast it's out of context um but it's it's max bedroom making a a an accusation against me which i don't i don't take offense to but yet it is still and it really the reason i'm playing with playing it not because it bothers me because i don't care um but because it shows who who he and who Potato really are. So here it is. Here's uh, Max Bedroom. I think this is from the Potato Podcast. And I don't blame him that he's gay. I don't blame him that he's gay. As if being gay is a bad thing. I mean, as I've, they were spending, as I was told, because I don't listen to Potato. I've never heard his podcast ever other than the clips. Um, they spent the whole time insulting me, which they do all the time. They're completely obsessed with me. They they open up Twitter spaces and talk just talk about me. It's them and a whole gang of people um and this max bedroom guy i'm pretty sure he's kind of like what do they call it an incel who you know isn't great with women and i think he gets some kind of satisfaction from from talking to the women on twitter um because he he can't get you know he can't have a have a woman in real life or anywhere even on twitter he can't you know um so he kind of pretends like he's their friend and protector but he's really just some doofus in nebraska but anyway um that seems homophobic to me. I don't know. They spent an entire podcast uh, insulting me and um, making accusations against me. And I mean, I, I don't. If I was gay, it'd be great. I'm not gay, but whatever. Uh, and I don't find it as an insult. It wouldn't be an insult. It wouldn't be a compliment. It would just be a fact. It's like saying, "Are you a legendary podcaster?" I just am. There's no two ways about it. Not an insult. Not a not a compliment, I guess, though it does show my greatness. Um, 
So this is the, the level of people who are obsessed with you. And I wish they wouldn't listen. I wish they would just fade away. Potato won't fade away. He keeps bothering me. His mom sent me a letter. To, uh, we'll read it later. She seems like a sweet lady. Um, but I just wish I could just go ahead and do my podcast and leave Potato. Have potato I want Potato just gone. He's obsessed with me. And I just, I'm done with him. He punches up at, at bigger podcasts because he wants to get a name, but he doesn't do a good podcast. So why would anyone listen? You know, that, that again, I've never listened to a word he's uh, said on his podcast, but he calls in. He's too, he's too much of a wimp to try to talk to me. But then again, I, I just always have to remember that. But did you say potato? He's just a potato. That's it. And, you know, anyway. So there we go. We'll start off with that. Um, yeah, bring him in. Uh, Tom wants to come in. Our new PD. Uh, yeah, sit right down. He's wearing another great suit. Tom, you're looking great. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you know, we've been bringing you in, you've been, you've been saying stuff and, and, you know, it's made varying degrees of sense. Um, what is your opinion on, on these people and this pathetic podcaster and his awful friends? What, what is your, his uh, seemingly homophobic and, and racist friends? What do you, uh, what, what do you think about them? And so many people, and here come these phonies, these ugly pieces of garbage <laughs> And I'm calling you straight out. Bunch of son of a bitches out there who have no right. You should be put in jail. That's number one. You should be locked up and taken away. You are as ugly as some kind of a, a mugger in the street, as some kind of a robber, stores. You don't deserve to be on the, with decent people. And you're claiming things. These people should be locked up. They should be um, uh, incarcerated. I love that fire, Tom. You know, if I ever have any doubts about hiring you, 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 you always put them away. You put them to the side because that is a fire in the heart that we need. And you are completely correct about them. Completely correct. But, you know, that's, and that's why I didn't play the, the discussion I had with uh, Max Bedroom. Um, I just, I'm not going to bore my audience. And that's the other thing about, about them. They don't have an audience to think about. I mean, the one guy has a podcast, but he has no audience. I have millions and millions of people to entertain and I'm not going to, you know, waste their time with a boring call where, you know, I did my best to make it entertaining, but he just wasn't, he's not an entertaining person, that max bedroom. So there you go. Um, Tom, I appreciate you. I appreciate you being here. Um, Anything else uh, you want to talk about? Let's you know what. Let's let's talk about you for a second. Um, you know, we we've barely scratched the surface of your legendary career. Can you got any stories? Got anything to say? Got anything of of interest um, about about your career? About your life? Anything? Uh, in 1961, I went on to the Johnny Carson program. Oh, did you tell me about that? What? Uh, who was on with you? You know what? He kind of trailed off there. Um, let's put a hold on that. Christina, can you come in? Yeah. It's okay, Tom. No, we'll talk about Johnny Carson later. Um, you look, maybe you're hungry. You, you want to, you want something to eat? Yeah, get him. He he's looking a little bit pale, and, and let's take care of him. Let's get him back to his office. Tom, uh, what what would you like to eat? We'll get you anything. So a bagel or something? A bagel? That's funny. Uh yeah, bagels are funny. Well, go to the guy downstairs. Send um one of the other interns, Christina, and um get him a bagel. Get him juice, maybe. You know, just just. Make him comfortable. Okay. Thank you. You're a doll, Christina. Thank you. All right. Tom is now leaving. Thank you, Tom. We love you. We love the fire. I guess it took a little bit out of you. That's okay. 
I love the fire there in Tom against the kowtowing podcast and their friends. I love it. That's exactly what we need. And we are going to ride that wave straight into this week's Cornet-tober. The boys will win the fight. Cornet kowtows in the night. I remember Cornet-tober this day. Cornet goes down. Adorable boys will take the crown. I remember Cornet-tober. All right, another issue. Another edition. Not an issue. This isn't a magazine. Yet, um, of Cornettober, where we fight kowtowing in all its forms. Now, if you don't know what kowtowing is, if you're new, we get new listeners every week. Kowtowing is when you podcast, not to and not to enrich yourself, not to make your fans happy, but to serve an overlord. You're 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 a kowtower when you're trying to to co-opt this wonderful medium, this sweet lady of podcasting, for your own needs. Now, podcasting has been very good to me in the past two years. I will not deny that, of course. It is a mutually beneficial relationship. But the kowtow is, they seek to make it a parasitic relationship. Cornette is a parasite on podcasting. A lot of peas. I'm not going to stand for it. I don't stand for it. Every week I battle him. In, in words only, of course. I, I, honestly, I feel sorry for Cornette. He's stuck in a loop of kowtowing. I'm trying to break him free. But he's resisting it at every turn. But I will, I will triumph. And he will likely never stop kowtowing, but he may stop podcasting. He will stop podcasting. That is the goal. We don't allow kowtowing in our beloved medium. So here we go. And I mean, he's taking it to new, new depths this week. Um, usually I play uh, clips that Frank and Beans uh, got ready for me. This week, Cornette, I mean... I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you straight out. He did a 10 minute commercial and put it up on YouTube in his podcast for something. I'm not gonna say the name because I wouldn't want to be associated with Cornette. I don't. I mean, they're paying him, but I, I still don't want to be part of that. But it's for like a VPN service, a privacy service online. And he just does a 10 minute. It's in his podcast. 10 minutes. This is this is taking advantage of your fans of their of their goodwill. The adorable boys will never do that. So I'm I'm gonna just gonna play the video. Um, no clips, probably won't do the potpourri this week, because th this is just so staggering that he would sink to this level. All right, so you got the video, Frank and Beans, we'll just play it, yeah, from, from there, that's fine. Uh, Frank and Beans behind the glass, I don't know if I said that, we got, we got into it so quickly here. Frank and Beans, our venerable producer behind the glass, doing a great job, can't, still can't figure out the microphone, but we love him anyway. All right, where is this video for Cornette Tober? There we go, yeah, get it up there, Frank. These internet service providers, right? They're keeping an eye on you. Do you know that the internet service providers... ISP. The ISPs. The ISPs. The ISPs. They are keeping an eye on you. They're spying on your internet, internet activity. They're selling your history. They're selling your data to the big tech companies, to foreign governments. You don't know what's going on. Uh, you know, I, podcasting is an art form, and I'm... I'm sorry I'm so upset here, adorable boy disciples. Let's work through this. Podcasting is an art form. There is no art to what this man does. He's blatantly doing an advertisement in the middle of it. This is a 10-minute YouTube video. Someone's going to click on this thinking they're going to get content, which, I mean, really is their fault because they're clicking on Cornette. They really shouldn't be. They should know that he's a cow tower and his, and his content stinks. But anyway, a naive person, I'll, I'll, I'll give them a break, is clicking on this saying, oh, content, and they're getting shoved a, a message down their throat to, to sell a product. I'm all for commercials. Don't get me wrong. We love our sponsors. 
but you know when they're coming. It's formatted. You know what's a commercial. You know what's not a commercial. But Cornette's trying to trick you, it seems to me. I won't have it. I'm calling him out. You don't treat your fans like this, Cornette. We would never do this, you adorable boys. And uh, then never mind the mix of paranoia in there. With uh, the internet's washing you. Uh, uh, uh. Which is, you know, I mean, it's true, I guess, that they are doing all those things. But he's not, he's not, he's, he's trying to sell a product. He doesn't care with, he doesn't care if they spy on him. He doesn't care if they spy on you. He's just trying to sell a product. If someone next week offered him money to read for a program that spies on you, he'd do that. Because he doesn't care. He has no, his podcast has no, no values to me, it seems. He's taking advantage of his podcaster listeners, podcast listeners, and I'm not going to stand for it. And every, every Cornet listener that comes over to here is going to get an education. And I've heard there's quite a few that defect, that hear what the adorable boy's doing, wake up and, and say, I need to be part of this movement. And we welcome you with open arms. We welcome you. Victims of the, of the Cornet kowtowing. All right. Play, play the whatever's next, sir. Frank and Means. And that's why you've got to hide from these people. And we've seen. All right. Stop it there, Frank. And that's why you got to hide from these people. That's all Cornette does is hide. He hides from the adorable boys. He hides any kowtows because he, sh- he, sh- he feels shame about kowtowing. I know he does. I know there's some drop of humanity left inside of him. I know there is. But he's buried it so far under. I don't know if it's salvageable. I honestly don't. And that's why he's hiding. He hi- hid from COVID for two, three years, longer than he had to. He, he hides from the adorable boys. He hides from everything. Don't live your life like that. If you're a Cornet listener and, you've, and you're listening here for the first time, there is a better way. There is, there is a silver lining. There is a, a, an entirely blue sky. You don't have to be taken down by the cynicism and the, and the, and the fear of a Jim Cornet or any other cow tower. You can have a better life. Start listening to the Adorable Boys. We'll get you on track. Did I say Adorable Boys? I don't know. I get worked up. Anyway, next cl- next uh, clip there, Frank and Beans. Call your ISP. They send two guys over in a truck. And they're in your house for a while and they're doing things. You don't know what they're doing. Have you ever noticed that oftentimes only one leaves? Have you ever seen that? You see two guys come into your house and then when they leave, there's only one of them. Where'd the other guy go? That's never happened. I don't even know what you're talking about. That happens to me constantly. I'm thinking, (laughs) where'd the other guy go? (laughs) All right. (laughs) I'm thinking, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking. All right. That's just, it's pathetic. Um, A few things there. One, that doesn't happen, Jim. There's nothing worse than someone who lies about things that happens on podcasts. That doesn't happen. You know it. It's absurd. And then your ridiculous co-host, who I'm beginning to think, I used to give him a, a, a pass. I think he's just as bad of a kowtow as you are, if you want my honest opinion. That awful laugh at something that wasn't even funny at all, never mind that funny. And this actually highlights a, a growing trend, I think, in comedy that I hate. It's where one person will say something that's like really irrational and just, you know, absurd. And then the other person's like, what? That never happens. If they, as if they're grounded in reality. And then they both laugh like crazy. Um, they didn't come up with this. It's done a lot. And it's terrible. It's done on podcasts. It's done on radio shows. Um, I hate it. It's not comedy. It's lazy. It's stupid. It's old. It was funny, you know, maybe when it first started. But I hate this trend of absurdity, absurdity, absurdity. Well, that can't happen. Ha, 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 ha. Hate it. 
stupid, terrible, lazy. Done with it. All right. So that's the, you know, the, he goes on for eight more minutes about the stupid uh, VPN. And I, I just, it's just a, a shame that he would do this to his audience. And I don't support it. And I never will support it. And I'm actually actively battling against kowtowing. This is a prime example of it. Um, so there, that's Cornatober for this week. Um, well, I definitely have a, uh, a potpourri next week. But I just didn't feel like it was prudent with the with the serious threat to to podcasting that this cow tower just just did with this video. And if you're if you know any people who listen to Cornette, most people don't even know who he is, but I do. I see what he's doing. Um, if you know anyone who listens to him, you know, try and help them. Intervent, do an intervention. Get everyone they love around. Uh, maybe play this podcast. And and just show them how they're. They're in a bad place and they need to get better. And the Adorable Boy podcast can do that for them if they want to. Now, if someone doesn't want to be helped, there's nothing we can do. But give it a shot for your loved one's sake. It really is very important that you that you get rid of, of Jim Cornette from their lives. So that Jim Cornette's podcast from their lives. All right, so that's it. I hope you guys learned something. We got a lot of quality content coming up. You're going to love it. Um, but for now, we put another... Another nail in the podcasting coffin of kowtowing. The boys will win the fight. Cornet kowtows in the night. I remember Cornetober this day. Cornet goes down. Adorable boys will take the crown. I remember Cornetober. All right, yes. We just did Cornetober. We, we're... We're a little bit drained. We're a little bit depleted. We need sustenance. We need spiritual sustenance. And where do we go for that? We need inspiration. And there truly is only one man who can give us that inspiration. John Cena, take it away. John Cena's inspiring tweet of the week. John Cena's inspiring tweet of the week. It will inspire you. He will inspire you because he's John Cena and this is his expiring tweet of the week. John Cena will inspire you with his tweets. Thank you, John. Thank you for your wonderful inspirational tweets. We're going to get into it right now and you're going to you're going to build us up rather than try to tear us down like the cow towers do. All right, so here we go. John Cena's tweet with that in which we will find inspiration. Here we go. The loudest voice in the room might gain the most attention. The hardest working in the room will hold the key to every door. Oh, John, you know exactly what to tweet at all times. Cornette, you know, other podcasters, other, you know, you can, anyone who's listening right now, put this into the context of your life. There are those, those braggadocious, I love that word. I use it a lot. Uh, people who make the most noise and try to tell everyone they're the best, they're the greatest, they're blah, blah, blah. But they don't work hard. They usually don't because they're too busy pumping themselves up. If they worked hard, they wouldn't have to pump themselves up. It's the hard working that have the key to open the door to opportunity. You can't just stand there and scream at a door and have it open. Go ahead and try that. It's not going to work. I spent the year of 2006 doing that. It was an odd time. You can't scream at a door to open it. You need the key. And the hardest working people get the key. And they make the progress. And they, they create. And they, they, 
inspire. John, you're one of those hardworking people with the key. The key of inspiration. You didn't you don't just stand on the street corner yelling. You don't use your 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 celebrity to go and push political ideals that down someone's throat. What you do is inspire. You have the key. You're not screaming loud. You have the key. And that inspires me to be a better podcaster, a better man, a better shock jock. Wrong order there, but you get it. So thank you once again, John Cena, for inspiring us, for wading through the muck, for being the person with the key of inspiration to open doors for us and yourself. And of course, you're a gentleman. You let the ladies through first. I love that about you, John. So thank you once again, John, for inspiring us. Thank you for cleansing us of the kowtowing of other podcasters. You truly are, John, inspirational. John Cena's inspiring tweet of the week. John Cena's inspiring tweet of the week. It will inspire you. He will inspire you because he's John Cena. And this is his inspiring tweet of the week. John Cena will inspire you with his tweets. Thank you again, John. Moving us right along on the Adorable Boy Podcast. We appreciate you. We do. All right, I think it's about time for our first break. Put in some good stuff. We got some stuff done. The next part, you know, it's all content, quality content, entertaining, humorous, shocking. Because that's what we do. Live and local. The Adorable Boy Podcast. All right, get in touch with us on uh, social media. Our social media team is hard at work. Instagram, uh, Twitter, at Adorable Podcast. Uh, uh, <laughs> Rumble or whatever. I don't know what Rumble is. I don't know. I heard that in the news. Uh, Truth Social, Parlor, Locals, all of that. We're there spreading the good news. This is the Adorable Boy Podcast, and we will be back after this. going to a bingo game? To her bank. She's got a savings account on the east side, a checking account on the west side. Look, haven't you told her about our ever-loving full-service all-in-one bank, Chemical New York? Well, I'm going to, but haven't you noticed how plump Jane is getting? Plump? Walking around town to all those banks will do her good. Then, when she's in shape... I see. Then you take her to Chemical New York, the bank with the hometown shape. (laughs) Uh, You know, Ethel, um... Seems to me that uh, your waist uh, ain't what it used to be. Well, <sighs> you're not fooling me for one minute, lazy bone. Chemical New York can't mow the lawn, but we can take care of your banking needs all in one bank. There's no place like Chemical New York, the bank with the hometown touch. Hey, this is Sly Stallone, and you're listening to the Adorable Boy Podcast. I was in Rocky. Welcome back, Adorable Boy Disciples. Thank you, Sly. 
for that wonderful introduction. Uh, it's great. It's awesome. I mean, you know, the, the celebrities love us. Everyone, everyone loves us. And it's wonderful. I was reading this um, article about a guy. He's an actor. He's on Game of Thrones. I never really watched that. The guy's name is Kit Harrington, and he just had a baby in real life. His wife had a baby. I don't know, about a year or two two ago or something. And there are articles. There's a whole bunch. This one is People. Um, and it's all kind of saying the similar thing. And I, I kind of have a really big problem with what it's saying. But um, here it is. Uh, let me read a little bit for you. He talks to discuss fatherhood now to influence his work in his new film. Um, so, I mean, there's a good chance that a lot of this is all basically promotion because the film is called Baby Ruby. Um, so I'm sure a lot of this is for promotion. Very, very um, thought out by a publicist or whoever. Uh, but here he goes. He says, uh, my boy was about four or five months old when we filmed this. So I just come out of the process. Uh, I find themselves in our, blah, blah, blah. OK, so this is the part that I'm talking about. Um, all right. So here's what the article says. Harrington said that for modern fathers, although they are more involved than previous generations, there is still a disconnect. Uh, here's a quote from him. We are now becoming more involved in child raising. And as a modern father, there is a real feeling of being a bystander at times. The, the whatever actor said, uh, you are not actively involved in the process of growing the child. There can be a real feeling of not knowing what is going on, what emotions are happening, what the mother or your partner is going through. Um, he said he definitely felt that way in his experience. Now, I have a problem. Listen, and I get I'm not if he has these feelings, that's him. And, you know, obviously things are working out well for him. I'm not putting him down at all for having these feelings. What I have a problem with is People magazine and everyone else who put this out there is is basically giving men uh, an excuse for not being men and taking care of kids they, they, they produce. And I think we have a little bit of a problem with that as it is, and we have for 50 years. And so this, this, this article, this magazine, and if I see it, I mean, they had to see it in writing it, I would think. But, you know, now when, when some 18-year-old kid uh, finds out his girlfriend or wife is pregnant, he's going to say, well, you know, I just feel a disconnect. And and I know you'll say, well, that won't happen. That won't happen. It's very subtle. It 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 all of this goes into the psyche, the American male psyche, and the female too, and what they expect probably. But if you're feeling a disconnect with your newborn baby as a father because you're not getting enough attention or or whatever it is, that is a problem. And I'm not. People have problems. I get it. A a a news magazine, a pe whatever people claims to be, shouldn't be putting this out there and saying like it's okay, like everyone goes through it. That is a psychology magazine can discuss this in depth, but people isn't going to go into the isn't going to go into the depth to where this information from Kit Harrington is worth it to anyone. And maybe there are people who see this and are like, oh, I'm not alone. And they stay and they and they they take care of their kids and they realize, you know, how stupid they're being. Um, but I bet, you know, I would I would I would say a lot more people this kind of just just chips away at the culture of family and and, and men and how they, what responsibilities they have for the, for the decisions they make. And I just, I don't like, I don't like the whole tone of this because it basically says, yeah, there's a disconnect and it's normal. And I don't know that that's normal. It's not shameful, but it's not normal. And you need to, to figure it out. And it seems like he did, but look, that's looking deep into the article. I don't think on the face value, people skimming through people magazine 
normal people readers are, are reading in a doctor's office or, you know, quickly online, and they're not going to go this in depth. And I think it's dangerous to to have this and and basically give excuses for a problem that's already majorly out of out of control and has been for decades and decades. You know, it really goes into the conversation, you know, it, fixing our society, whatever's wrong with it begins and ends with parents. And, and one of the biggest problems we have is dads leaving. Dads are extremely important as are moms. And of course, you know, idiots who want an argument are going to say, well, what about moms? Moms are indispensable, obviously Le- much less moms leave their children. So it's not as big of a problem. Dads are extremely important in, in shaping the next generation and, and, and giving them a chance at a good life. And far too many of them don't care. And this article to the casual reader could give them an excuse for not caring. Oh, it's biological. I just don't feel connected to him, the kid. I never will. I got to go. Good luck. Good luck with child support too. Because we have a problem with that in this country. And yet I, all I hear is million millionaire actresses complaining that they don't make as many millions as the male actresses. If there is an income disparity, if there's a problem with women earning money, how about we start with getting men to pay child support who aren't paying it? How about we start there and work up to the actresses? I kind of went off on a tangent there, but that's the feeling I have too. Um, now again, you know, idiots will come and tell me, oh, well, you know, you're putting down him for having a ha- having issues. And no, I'm not. And, uh, you know, the, the, list, the uh, article goes on. Um... He says, you know, you're a unit of three now, uh, added Harrington of his family. That's a whole new dynamic you need to find and pretty much find every day as he grows and changes. And how does that change you? It's a beautiful thing. It really is. So obviously this guy's fine. He had a little bit of these feelings. He's an, he's an actor who's been told he's great probably, you know, for many, many years. So I, I could even get a little bit of, oh, no, you know, my life has changed. I understand that. Again, there's no issue with him having having this these thoughts. The problem is with with the media putting this out there as if it's normal and as if and giving men an excuse for, you know, leaving. So, yeah, I'm fixing civilization one podcast episode at a time. Um, I don't ask for any thanks. You know, I'm humble. I'm a humble shock jock. I'm great. I'm I'm legendary. I know how to entertain and I know how to change things. I know to, I know how to affect positive change, you know, but I'm humble, too, which is crazy. It's crazy how amazingly humble I am. All right, so what do we got next, Frank and Beans? What's next on the on the docket? Okay, you want to do that? All right. Uh, I don't want to keep talking about this obsessed podcaster, this obsessed and cowardly podcaster, but he just keeps making himself known to me. And this time, actually, it was his mom. Um, she wrote the Adorable Boys a letter. Um, and I'll read it to you. Uh, basically about her son and his obsession with me and all that. Um, I'm sure she's a sweet lady. I wish she wouldn't write me letters. But if she's in a, she claims to be an adorable boy disciple. So, okay. All right. So what I'm going to do is this is, if you're new to the podcast, this is the obsessed podcaster. I talked about him earlier a little bit. Um, his mother, he's a 50 something year old man lives with his mother and she wrote me a note. Um, and I'm just going to read it. Here we go. All right. Dear Spud, I am potato podcaster's mother and I'm writing for a few reasons. First to thank you for motivating my senior citizen son. He gets so excited when you mention him, and he just goes on and on about you. The charitable attention you're giving him is so much appreciated. Since he has no job and he isn't good at anything, it's nice to see him happy for a few minutes each week. Secondly, I'd like to thank you for trying to make him employable. My other successful children and I have been trying for years to inspire him to find employment, 
but all he seems to want to do is drink, play billiards, and gamble. I imagine he could find some way to earn his keep even if he's, even in these twilight years, but admittedly, I don't think anything will ever motivate him. But I appreciate your efforts. Finally, I'd like to apologize for his coarse language and the fact that hatred seems to have consumed him. I wish he would put some effort into being a positive force in the world, but he just works on and on at that podcast that, let's face it, is awful. At first, I was excited that he, was going to let his he wasn't going to let his obvious lisp stop him from doing something he wanted to do. But it's just evolved into an hour of hate and boredom each week. He has no real opinions, nothing to say, and I don't think, and I don't think I've ever heard him say anything funny in his life. I mean, his only other creative outlet is posting movie clips on YouTube. It's very pathetic, but I love him, and just know that he loves you in his own twisted way. I hope you continue to be so magnanimous toward him. I appreciate you, your podcast, and your angelic nature. P.S. I know you have a big heart, so don't worry. He'll always be taken care of. My other children are very successful and will be able to carry that burden until he is in his convalescence, which is likely not far down the road. All right. And that was signed before the P.S. Potatoes Mommy. Listen, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best here. He's, he's obsessed with me. I, I don't really have anything else to say. Thank you for the letter, Doral, uh, Potato Mommy, if, that, if you actually did write that. Um, you know, I'm doing my best to help him and yet stay away from him. I want to help him to leave me alone and stop obsessing over me. Maybe put that effort into his podcast. I don't know. But anyway, um, there we go. Also, uh, you know what? Actually, the production team has me helping Potato, actually. I think that's a good... Do we have that, Frank and Beans? Yeah? All right. Um, so I'm, as we know, I'm helping potato in his life and I decided to take him to a seniors, uh, speed dating, uh, event. And, uh, here's how it went. Here we go. Hit it up, Frank and Beans. Now, potato, the next step in your rehabilitation is finding a companion for you. I've arranged for us to come to this wonderful speed dating event for single seniors. Now, I know you have no job and no prospects, but many of these women are recently divorced or widowed. Their standards may be quite low. <laughs> what an odd noise you make. I'm not sure whether you're pleasuring yourself or you're mad. But either way, stop it. And please, Potato, you can't hang out in smoke-filled bars and underground poker dens of iniquity for your remaining years. Get in the car, and I'll put the Adorable Boy podcast on. Have you heard John Cena's latest tweet? It's inspiring! Oh, I know that sound. I forgot how mad the adorable boy makes you. Don't worry. I'll up your melatonin tonight. Let me get my earplugs and we can listen to your boring podcast on the way. Here, I'll open the door for you. We have arrived, Potato, and look at all these seductive silver-haired singles. I just know this is going to be wonderful for you. Also, I brought a coconut cream pie for you to share with a lucky lady. I think it will really make her like you. So tell me when you find the woman you wish to give it to. <laughs> what a joke. On the contrary, Potato, that might fool these women into thinking you're an actual person, rather than just some hate-consumed old man. Oh good, go ahead and sit down, Potato. Your first sexagenarian chippy has arrived, and I don't think that's a permanent colostomy bag. I'll stand back here. Good luck. I will 
lived through the Coolidge administration, and I never thought that I would ever be at my 99 years of age being with such beautiful people. <laughs> what a joke. Oh, Potato, let me, hold on, come here. I know you think you want younger women, but let's face it, no woman will ever want you under the age of 99. So this is your chance. Don't call her a joke, be nice to her. Be nice, you need a companion, Potato, someone to make the days less lonely. So please, go back there and charm her, if you can. Thank you. I forgot to tell you, Calvin Coolidge was a good friend of mine. Later. Potato, wait! No younger woman will have you! Oh no, the pie! Oh no, Potato, all over your face. Will you ever win? Well, there you have it. Potato can't date. We tried to help him. Did our best. You know, maybe we'll try and help him again next week. Guy never ceases to amaze me. Hopefully we're done with him for this week. Hopefully we're done with him for life. I have a feeling he'll pop up again because he's obsessed. Anyway, I think it's time to be a Marxie boy, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken. All right. We still don't have the production for this. Frank and Beans, we got to get on that. All right. It's okay. You're doing great. Put Vito on it or something. Anyway, there actually, I, I, I forgot to link uh, something we talked about earlier um, to what's happening, you know, with Marxism. Um, the, the, the actor who said he felt a disconnect to his baby. Again, no issue with him. It's a magazine and what they're putting out there. Um, and really, it's all part of, and, and as I've, um, the, the New Discourses podcast has helped me to see, Alf, it's all part of Aufheben der Kulter, which is, Aufheben is a German word, again, it means to destroy and yet preserve. And it, that's what they're doing to our culture. It's not, you know, if someone is, it feels like they're not the gender they're born and they want to change that, that's up to them. That's up to the individual. What they need is for no one to ever question anything they do, including um, the Matt Walsh from uh, was the Daily Wire. He exposed Vanderbilt University as as uh, doing these these surgeries on kids and whoever because they're so profitable and there are so many follow-up visits. They make so much money off of it. Uh, if you don't know Matt Walsh, he's on Daily Wire. Go to his Twitter and he, he Vanderbilt, I think last I saw a few minutes ago, they deleted their entire website. Um, and they're scrubbing things because, I mean, I, I assume they're going to be in trouble because they're doing dangerous surgeries only for profit. Not really, not considering the health, emotional or physical. Uh, but it's all part of Alphaven Der Culture. It's destroy the idea of what a man is, destroy the idea of what a father should be, destroy the idea of what a woman is, destroy the idea of what a mother should be. And, and again, with that stupid dialectical process, which we're going to talk about with Marx some more. Um, t take the thesis, which is fathers, mothers, men, women, whatever uh, individual thesis you want. Act on it, you know, destroy it using negativity and hope something better comes out in the end, though it never does. And that's what they're doing. Destroy what a woman is, destroy what a mother is, destroy what a man is, destroy what a father is. Destroy the culture. And just, you know, but really, who does it, who does it benefit? That's what we have to look at. I don't know exactly who, but it's people who want to destroy our culture, destroy us. And anyway, that's how this links back to that. But uh, a few weeks ago, probably three or four now, we, we read the first chapter of the Communist Manifesto. And the point here of this bit, which is called, uh, he's just a Marxie boy. The point here is to, to 
basically read the Communist Manifesto and use Marx's own words to show how ridiculous it is. Um, we did the first chapter, or part of the first chapter. I want to go back to the beginning of the first chapter, because since we did that, uh, we talked about the dialectical process and Alf Habender Coulter and um, all that. So I want to read that through the lens now of us knowing the, the deal here, um, the dialectical process, the Mar Marxism, all of that. We're, we're familiar with that. We're going to read back. We're going to start at the beginning of chapter one and go on with that lens. All right. So here we go. Let's use, uh, well, we probably won't get through chapter one. We'll only read a few pages. Um, we're on a hard out today. I got a meeting with um, some sponsors. Okay. Chapter one, bourgeois and proletarians. The history of all hitherto existing society is the history of class struggles. Uh, that's that's Marx is basically his thesis. Uh, if we use the dialectical process, um, okay, free man and slave, patrician and plebeian, lord and serf, guildmaster and journeyman. In a word, oppressor and oppressed stood in constant opposition to one another. Sounds like a happy guy, huh? That's all that existed. That existing society has ever been. There's no beauty. There's no art. There's no innovation. It's just hatred, just struggle. Um, now, let's see, stood in constant opposition to one another, carried on an uninterrupted, now hidden, now open fight. I don't know what that means. Now hidden, now open fight. Whatever. It's stupid. A fight that each time ended either in a revolutionary reconstitution of society at large or in the common ruin of the contending class. Garbage. Uh, in the earlier epochs of history, we find almost everywhere a complicated arrangement of society in various orders, a manifold gradation of social rank in ancient Rome, we have patricians, knights, blah, blah, blah. Uh, in almost all of these classes, again, subordinate gradations. The modern bourgeois society has sprouted from the ruins of feudal society, has not done away with class antagonisms. It has but established new classes, new conditions of oppression, new forms of struggle in place of the old ones. So he's basically saying, you're no better. Again, I, I think I said this in the first time we read it. You're no better off than than slaves were than 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 feud, people living under feudalism in the middle ages you're this you're in the same position which is obviously garbage because capitalism provided opportunities and it didn't matter who you were born to where you were born what color your skin was none of that matters in capitalism it's can you create value but according to marx that's ridiculous uh, okay here's here's we're going to get into something good here our epoch, the epoch of the bourgeoisie, possess, however, this distinct feature. It is simplified class antagonisms. Society as a whole is more and more splitting up into two great hostile camps, into two great classes directly facing each other, bourgeoisie and proletariat. So what he's saying here, and, and it's, it's a little bit hidden now that we know what we know, he, what he's saying here is that with the rise of the bourgeoisie, this has changed. And the the rise of the bourgeoisie is going to create its own destroyers, basically. It's going to create the bourgeoisie who create the proletariat. The proletariat keeps growing. The workers, the proletariat is the workers, they keep growing until they finally realize, I, through the dialectical process, I guess, they act on the bourgeoisie. The bourgeoisie is the the, the synthesis, the um, thesis the action of the proletariat, the, the overcoming of that is the antithesis and the synthesis is a new society, apparently. Um, all right, we'll read on. So that's what he's saying. He's saying that the bourgeoisie is different and that's going to lead to the rise of the proletariat and the eventual um, uh, supremacy of the socialist man who is the person who, when there is no more um, 
division of labor. And a lot of these things might seem confusing to you. Go back. Do yourself a favor. Go back and listen to the last five episodes. Listen to every episode. You're going to learn a lot. Um, but do yourself a favor, and, and this will all make a lot more sense to you. Okay, moving on. From the serfs of the Middle Ages, spraying the chartered burgers, burgers, I don't know what that word, B-U-R-G-H-E-R-S, of the earliest towns. From these burgesses, I know that one. The first elements of the bourgeoisie were developed. The discovery of America, the rounding of the Cape, opened, opened up fresh ground for the rising bourgeoisie. The East Indian and Chinese markets colonization, he basically goes on um, to increase it. Well, I'll get back into it. Uh, increase the colonization of America, trade with the colonies, the increase in the means of exchange and in commodities generally gave to commerce, to navigation, to industry, an impulse never before known, and thereby to the revolutionary element and the tottering feudal society, a rapid development. So he's saying all the things that, that capitalism grew and that makes capitalism grow are the things that are going the, the proletariat is going to use to destroy capitalism. That's what he's saying. This whole first chapter, I, I think, is pretty much mostly about that, um, if you can figure anything out from it. All right, next paragraph. The feudal system of industry in which industrial production was monopolized by closed gills now no longer suffices for the growing wants of the new markets. The manufacturing system took its place. The guild masters were pushed aside uh, by the manufacturing middle class. Division of labor between the different corporate guilds vanished in the face of division of labor of each single workshop. So the old ways were gone. The new ways came. And he's saying these new – again, he's saying these new ways are what's going to usher in the, the era of the socialist man of the proletariat. Uh, meantime, the markets kept ever growing, the demand ever rising. Even manufacturers no longer sufficed. Thereupon, steam – and machinery revolutionized industrial production. The place of manufacture was taken by the giant modern industry, the place of the industrial middle class by industrial millionaires, the leaders of the whole industrial armies, the modern bourgeois. Uh, modern industry has established the world market, blah, 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 which discovery America paved the way. And, I mean, America was the the first really great experiment in capitalism. Um, so he, you know, according to him, that was a huge part because it showed, oh, you know, all of this industrialization, this this buildup of capitalism and wealth and amazing amazing innovation that is speeding us ever ever more fast, ever more quickly into where the proletariat would be able to take over and um, subjugate the bourgeoisie. Uh, we see, therefore, how the modern bourgeoisie is itself the product of a long course of development of a series of revolutions in the modes of production and exchange. Each step in the development of the bourgeoisie was accompanied by a corresponding political advance in that class. An oppressed class under the sway of the feudal nobility, an armed self-governing association of medieval commune, here independent urban republic, as in Italy and Germany, there taxable third estate of the monarchy, as in France, afterward in the period of manufacturing proper, serving either the semi-feudal or the absolute monarchy, as a counterpoise against the nobility, and in fact the cornerstone of the great monarchs in general. The bourgeoisie has at last, since the establishment of modern industry and of the world market, conquered for itself in the modern representative state, exclusive political sway. The executive of the modern state is but a committee for managing the common affairs of the whole bourgeoisie. So what he's saying is, and you'll hear this a lot today, you know, the government is, is merely a, 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 a thing to manage the affairs of big business. Um, and it shouldn't be. And in a lot of ways that that has happened, he was that's a, one of one of the few things he said right here. Big, big, you know, in, in modern America, the modern world, big government is big industry. They just hide it. That's how it is. 
but that didn't come along from capitalism. It came along from the corruption of capitalism by Marxist ideas, mostly. Uh, here's the next paragraph. The bourgeoisie historically has played a most revolutionary part. The bourgeoisie, wherever it has got, got the upper hand, has put an end to all feudal, patriarchal, idyllic relations. It has pitilessly torn asunder the motley feudal ties that bound man to his natural superiors. So now this is the part where he basically says the bourgeoisie and capitalism is doing our work for us. It, it, it gets a little muddied here in how he says it, but we'll, 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 we'll clear it up. Uh, torn asunder the motley feudal ties that bound man to his natural superior. So he's saying now that the profit is the thing, we're not bound to the bourgeoisie by anything but our willingness to be bound to them. Um, they're not natural superiors. Um, because in the next sentence says, uh, I'll read that other sentence first. The motley feudal ties that bound man to his natural superiors and has left no other nexus between man than naked self-interest than callous cash payment. And Marx, I think Marx sees this as now that cash payment is all that matters, this is when the proletarians can grow and destroy the bourgeoisie, destroy the division of labor, and, and live in a utopian society, apparently. All right, next one is, is important. Um, it, meaning capitalism, has drowned out the most heavily ecstasies of religious fervor, of chivalrous enthusiasm, of Philistine sentimentalism, in the icy water of egotistical calculation. It has resolved personal worth into exchange value, and in place of the numberless, indefeasible, charted freedoms has set up that single, unconscionable freedom, free trade. Now, I, the first time reading this, um, when I first read it, I didn't quite understand it, because I was saying, well, he's, you know, it says it drowned out the most heavenly ecstasies of religious fervor, which sounds like he's saying, look what capitalism destroyed. You know, it's terrible that it destroys religious fervor um, and, and chivalrous enthusiasm and Philistine sentimentalism. And Philistine, I'm, I'm pretty sure that means like, I think Philistine means, um, I mean, if we were to say it in modern terms, like phony, basically, you know, like where you pretend it's something, you're, you're cultured and all that, but you're not really basically like that. I'm pretty sure that's what that means. Um Philistine sentimentalism is like, well, that's a bad thing. Wouldn't it be good? That well, why is Mark saying saying all this stuff? It was my was my question. And what what he's really saying is that this is a good thing. That this is one of the ways that capitalism is is going to destroy itself. All of this heavenly, all of these heavenly ecstasies and chivalrous enthusiasm and Philistine sentimentalism was a barrier to where Marx wanted things to go. Capitalism destroyed that. So that's actually a good thing to Marx. He's actually saying. Look at what capitalism done, has done for us. It's done part of the work. Uh, it took me a while to understand that, that what that meant. Um, here we go. Uh, it has resolved personal worth into exchange value and, play, and in place of the numberless, indefeasible, charted freedoms has set up that single free and unconscionable freedom, free trade. Um, which, you know, free trade is, is, according to Marx, is bad because it, it divorces a person from the products of their work. Um, but again, free trade, he's saying free trade is doing their work for them. There we go. Uh, next sentence. In one word, in one word, for exploitation veiled by religious and po political illusions, it has substituted naked, shameless, direct, brutal exploitation. Saying all to the same point. The bourgeoisie is stripped of its halo, every occupation hitherto honored and looked up to with reverent awe. Again, if you first read that, you almost think he's saying, oh, what a terrible thing. But he, he thinks it's a good thing. It's getting rid of all this stuff. It's, I mean, I guess probably he looked at capitalism as the um, as the antithesis to the world it set up. So it will, I mean, the dial. It, if you're thinking dialectically, which it shouldn't, but um, 
capitalism is the antithesis antithesis to the the current uh, methods of exploitation. So like feudalism or whatever came before it, before it, and, and capitalism was the antithesis to that. I'm kind of making a breakthrough here. I haven't thought of it like this before. Um, that was pretty, pretty obvious though. Um, so now we have the synthesis of capitalism and we need to work on that with its, with its antithesis to get to the synthesis of Marx's utopia. Um, interesting. Anyway, the bourgeoisie has stripped of its halo every occupation hitherto honored and looked up to with reverent awe. It has converted the physician, the lawyer, the priest, the poet, the man of science into its page wage laborers. I, I think they're all pretty happy about that. I would think they all get paid pretty well. Uh, the bourgeoisie has torn away from the family its sentimental veil and has reduced the family relation into a mere money relation. Marx's view on the family, I'm still not very clear on. You know, I, I kind of got, got the gist that the family is kind of a barrier to to the ultimate socialist utopia we have to we have to cut familial ties and what matters is the collective overall um so i you know he's there again he's saying the same thing the bourgeoisie has torn away the family and sentimental veil it's doing the it's doing the work for the bourgeoisie is doing the work for the proletariat to get to marx's utopia uh, the bourgeoisie has disclosed how it came to pass that the brutal display of vigor in the Middle Ages, which reactionaries so much admire, found its fitting complement in the most slothful indolence. It has been the first to show what man's activity can bring about. It has accomplished wonders far surpassing Egyptian pyramids, Roman aqueducts, and Gothic cathedrals. It has conducted expeditions that put in the shade all former exoduses of nations and crusades. A lot of stuff here. The bourgeoisie cannot exist without constantly revolutionizing the instruments of production, thereby the relations of production and with them the whole relations of society. Conservation of the old modes of production and unaltered form was, on the contrary, the first condition of existence for all earlier industrial classes. Constant revolutionizing of production, uninterrupted disturbance of all social conditions, everlasting uncertainty and agitation distinguish the bourgeoisie epoch from all earlier ones. So that's what he's saying in that whole paragraph. This is different. This the bourgeoisie is creating the, its own destruction, which I've yet to see. Capitalism seems to go on. Ask a Marxist about that. Their their answers will always be entertaining. Um, the bourgeois the bourgeois epoch from all earlier ones, all fixed, fast, frozen relation, relations with their train of ancient and venerable pre prejudices and opinions are swept away. All newly formed ones become antiquated before they can ossify. All that is solid melts into air. All that is holy is profaned, and man is at last compelled to face with sober senses his real condition of life and his relations with his kind. So, all that is solid melts into air. All that is holy is profaned, and man is at least compelled to face with sober senses his real condition of life and his relations with his kind. Again, he's saying the same thing over and over again. This I read that twice because it's, it's very important. Marx, Mar for Marxism, Marxism to work... For communism to work, everything needs to be destroyed. Everything. And the, the new socialist uh, man, socialist society needs to be established. And if everyone is not that socialist man, it's not going to work. And that's, you know, if, if you look into it, that's why it's okay, according to Marxists, to, to kill people. Because if they're in the way of the socialist society, they don't, they just need to die because they're in the way. They, you know, the dialectical process, I guess, must take them out. Um, so he's trying to convince the reader, listen, and, and this was made for, a, you know, a, a group of communists at, at, a, at a rally, not a rally, but like a convention. I don't know if that's what they would call it. 
Um, but he's he's telling everyone this is our time. The, the the bourgeoisie capitalism is giving us every weapon with which to destroy it. We have to destroy it now. Um, all right, next sentence. The need of constantly of a constantly expanding market for its product chases the bourgeoisie over the entire surface of the globe. It must settle everywhere. Settle. It must nestle everywhere. Settle everywhere. Establish connections everywhere. He sees that as a weakness of, of the of the capitalism and the bourgeoisie. That it has to be a global thing. When really, I mean. It, it, it's better if it is, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. His ideology has to be global. That's just the, that's the deal with it. Capitalism, I mean, doesn't really need to be because it's better. Again, you know, it's better with the world market. Sure. You make more money and more profit, more value, all that. Better people's lives improve. But really, I mean, it, it would work just domestically. If, if United States was the only capitalist country, there would be problems, but it would still work. His ideology, however, needs to be everyone in the world. And if you don't go along with it, you get killed. Um, next paragraph. The bourgeoisie has, through its exploitation of the world market, given a cosmopolitan character, character to production and consumption in every country, to the great chagrin of reactionaries. It has drawn from under the feet of industry the national ground which it stood all old established national industries have been destroyed or are daily being destroyed. They are dislodged by new industries whose introduction becomes life and death question for all civilized civilized nations by industries that no longer work up in indigenous raw material, but raw material. All right, I'm done reading this. We'll stop there. You can only take so much of this guy. Um, I, I, think, I think it's basically the whole chapter from what I remember um, where he just keeps trying to convince everyone that now is the time and capitalism is creating its own destruction. Um, we'll get, we'll get more onto that next week. He's just a Marxy boy, I guess. Uh, you know, it's been over 200 years and capitalism hasn't destroyed itself. So I'm pretty sure you were wrong, Marxy. Now, if you could just come back from the dead and tell all the idiots that still believe in you, um, that'd be great. And I don't know, it, you know, I'm recently learning about neo-Marxists. And that's interesting, too. We'll just do a little bit of an aside. Neo-Marxists are the ones who saw the horrors that Marxist doctrine created in the Soviet Union and all and, you know, wherever else. Um, and they said, OK, Marx is still still right, but he's wrong about this one little thing. And that's what we have to fix. But Marxism is still good on the on the whole, which is hilarious. And they came about after, you know, in the in the. During Soviet the Soviet era and after the neo-Marxists, because because even they couldn't deny the horrors, and yet today so many Marxists, Marxism is still being you know used and taught. I mean, BLM founders say they're Marxists. They they obviously are. At least they're being honest. They're trying to destroy with negativity, mostly for their own personal gain. But you know, there's someone above them who's exploiting them, literally exploiting them, not in the Marxist way. All right. Uh, but I digress. That's, he's just a Marxy boy. This is where the production will go when we get it. We don't have it yet. It's okay, though. We've been busy. Maybe Tom will get that done. We'll talk about that later. All right. Moving along. We're going to have to take a break. Quick break. Really quick break. This is the Adorable Boy Podcast. Uh, get us on all social media. Twitter is at Adorable Podcast. Instagram, Truth Social, Parlor, Locals, all that stuff. Um, spread the word, AOL keyword, Adorable Boy Podcast. I ask you not to go anywhere because we have so much ready, so much left for you on the Adorable Boy Podcast. We're going to wrap this thing up in a nice bow and send you off on your week, inspired by, by the likes of John Cena and educated.
And I, I will leave the same way because you do the exact same thing for me. This is the Adorable Boy Podcast, and we will be back after this. Is good. Hi, this is Karl Marx from Karl Marx Motors, and I want to clear up some confusion that was left to my last commercial. After you come into my massive 3,000 car lot and purchase an invisible car, you still won't own it. It's confusing, and I'm a terrible communicator, so I'll try to break down the process for you. First, you come to my 3,000 car lot to view our inventory of pre-inspected invisible automobiles. Then you pay us for your favorite invisible car. And the best part about this is that the price is the same no matter which car you pick. There are no classes. Auto buyers of the world unite at Karl Marx Motors. Then you empty your bank account into mine. Friedrich will do all the paperwork. Then we forcefully remove you from the premises and possibly sacrifice you to the dialectical god. It's that simple. So come into Karl Marx Motors. It's the socialist thing to do. And don't question my loss of accent. Alfabin der Kulter! With Tupac Shakur. No, no easy, easy. Tony and Tupac. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, we didn't roll. TNT. <laughs> now, how did the story go, man? I was uh, I was uh, driving my car one day after seeing he had just he was just in, he's in jail he's got five bullet holes in him I remember seeing that big thug life he was showing and everything else so I was like I can't believe this guy's such a good actor. We are ready to put a bow on this edition of the Adorable Boy Podcast. We love having you along. It's been a great episode. We got a lot done. I feel relaxed, feel cool. I feel like I'm hanging with my Adorable Boy disciples. No matter where you are in the world, I am with you. Spud is with you. Um, all right. I, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the big news um, with DeSantis sending a plane full of of migrant people to Martha's Vineyard. Um, you know, I think politically it was probably a great move because, I mean, if you go on Twitter, you're, you're, it, it is heavily biased towards the, the left. Um, so that's what you'll get. You'll get, you'll see a whole bunch of things about how he's evil, how he's the devil, how he didn't care about them or whatever, whatever they'll say. Um, but that's not, that's not, you when you're, running for president or whatever, which hopefully he does, actually. I kind of hope he does. Um, 
you need to get the people in the middle. And the people you see on Twitter are not the middle. They have made up their minds no matter what atrocity or, or boondoggle, if I can use the word, um, the Biden administration or any any Democrat administration gets us into, they will never go against them, ever. They they And a lot of it now is because of their hatred for Trump. They, they can't even fathom saying that maybe Biden is, isn't good or is doing or has done anything wrong. So those people are gone. And then you have the extreme right people who are going to vote for whoever the right puts up. So DeSantis doesn't have to worry about them either. He's got them. Or Trump, but hopefully DeSantis. The Republican Party, I guess we'll say. And then you have people in the middle. And people in the middle are, are you're not going to probably see them on Twitter. You're not going to hear them a lot, but they're there. And if you need any evidence of them being there, Trump won in 2016. Didn't look like he was going to. Everything said he wasn't. These people voted for him. He won. And these people are going to see, I mean, it's just, it's obvious hypocrisy that all of these leftists, these these Democrats say we should let everyone in and, and give everyone everything and do everything for everyone, no matter what. Yet when it's brought to their doorstep, they ship them out in a day. And then they have rallies about how great they handled it. It's hypocrisy. They want, they say they want to help these people when they don't have to help them. And it's, it's any reasonable person. I, I have faith in the majority of America. I believe they're reasonable. The majority of the world, hopefully. I believe there's a very reasonable contingent who stays silent, mostly. But then, I mean, they're the ones that vote and they're the ones that get a guy like Trump in. Um, so when the left or, or the Democrats call DeSantis the devil and say he, he, wanted, he didn't care about these people, DeSantis... Uh, geniusly brings up about how 50 migrants basically cooked in the back of a semi-truck and no one cared. You didn't hear any outrage from the left, from the Democrats. You didn't. And then when, when he sends them on a plane to their backyard, that's when you hear the outrage. It's clear hypocrisy and, and normal people are going to see it. And it's going to make the people that are still defending this administration look even more stupid to, to the normal people. I mean, the economy is, is terrible. Inflation is up. No one seems to care on the left. It, it's all this new thing with, with dark Brandon. I mean, they really are taking this senile old man and just painting a picture around him. But even they don't believe it. Yet they keep going with it. So if you look on Twitter, you'll think, oh, my gosh, Biden is getting things done. Biden is a, a shrewd guy. And he isn't. He may, he, maybe he was. He's he's old and he's confused is what he is and really he's an embarrassment i'm gonna be honest with you um but but immigration basically won trump i think his presidency in 2016 his policy on immigration and and what desantis did was was make that part of the conversation now right before the midterms and uh, you know and and it's a political strategy it the thing is, and people say, oh, you shouldn't use people as pawns. And I, I understand that. I really do. They're people. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Ayn Rand. And one quote that she has that really resonates with me, especially as I get older, is that people aren't means to an end. Every person is an end um, unto him or herself. But when you think about this, the Biden administration brings these people in. And, you know, just like every other part of society, there are ones who are going to flourish who are going to do great. There are ones who are going to do okay with help from others. And there are ones who are, who are going to be homeless and then, you know, be in trouble. And then there are ones that are going to commit crimes. That's, that's how society is. There are those, there are, when you have such a, a large amount of people coming over, 
you're going to have those types of people. And, you know, this is uh, separated from the argument about immigration, which I have my own ideas on. Um, but what in the current situation, in reality, as it is, DeSantis, I mean, what, what we're allowing to happen is the Democrats say, yeah, bring them all in and then not, not have to deal with anyone, any of them. Not have to help them, not have to to deal if they are the one if they are people who commit crimes, they don't have to deal with that either. They don't have to deal with any of it. And when they do have to deal with that, when they do have to try to help them, when they do have to find infrastructure to to take care of these people, they say, What are you doing? Get them out of here. That's exactly what they did. So was DeSantis using them as pawns? I don't know, because I mean, is their life better? Well, I guess they're at Cape Cod now in a military installation. Is the life better there than it would have been in Texas? I would think so. And should we just allow the Democrats to keep and the left to keep doing what they're doing, which is advocating for things that they never have to face the consequences of? So. In that way, I think what DeSantis did was smart. Um, would I have done it? I don't know, but I'm not a politician, you know. I'm not uh those are those are tough calls. Do you allow the 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 injustice to keep happening and, and no one say anything about it or do you bring it to the backyard of the hypocrites and and force them to deal with it, which is what he did and they didn't deal with it well. They sent them out after 24 hours. I mean, if if the left really wanted to to show that they care, which again, we know they don't. But that was a perfect and I may, there are probably some pure-hearted people on the left who are just, you know, brainwashed. It was the perfect opportunity to say, yeah, we'll take care of them. We will. We will We will do what we need to do and we'll show you what needs to be done. But they're too focused on on their wealth and their superiority to to imagine letting other people come in and, and you know, and siphon off of it, I guess, in, the, in their eyes. It's truly pathetic. It is... The clearest and worst hypocrisy I think I've ever seen. I don't know how any leftist could say, no, well, that's okay. They should advocate to be a sanctuary city. They should advocate for immigrants. But when the immigrants are actually sent to them and in and, and, and need of help, they're thrown away. And this, you know, is the reason why why I, I think the left is doing far more damage than the right uh, to, to our society right now. Sometimes the right does far more damage. Right now, the left is doing an amazing amount more of damage. I'm no big fan of the Republican Party. But out of the two, which one are you going to take? It's the one that has completely abandoned all reason and basically supports, if not institutes, Marxist ideology. Or the one that doesn't do that. You know, that's what it comes down to. And, you know, I said this, I'm pretty sure I said it on the podcast. I've said it to personal friends. Um, once it's clear DeSantis is going to run for president, they will make him look even worse than Trump. They will write articles about, yeah, Trump was bad, but here's why DeSantis is a thousand times worse. The difference is DeSantis doesn't have that past that Trump has. And that's, a, that's a, that's good for DeSantis. But they're in the process. DeSantis is the devil. DeSantis wanted these people to die on the plane. DeSantis didn't tell them where they were going. DeSantis kidnapped them. DeSantis is the devil. Is he really? He's a politician. I, I'm skeptical of all politicians. But as far as politicians go, he seems a lot better than most others. So that's my view on the whole migrant crisis. Uh, just the staggering hypocrisy of the left and the Democrats. And I hate, I, I never got into radio 
or, or podcasting to to have to say something about the staggering hypocrisy about the Democrats. I, I'm a shock jock. I want to entertain. But you want, you know, I'm supposed to give news. I'm supposed to give opinions. And this is where I am. I have to talk about this. I don't want to. I want to shock. I want to have, you know, little people riding tricycles or, or something in here. Throwing baloney at, you know, I don't know, waitresses or something. Something shocking. But I got to talk about this. I don't want to sound like Rush Limbaugh. And I'm much more intelligent than Rush Limbaugh and, and, you know, much more nuanced, much, much better of a person, more humble, too, than Rush Limbaugh. But when there's such a clear hypocrisy that is also being ignored by so many, the adorable boy has to speak up. You expect that out of me. You expect quality content. And that's what you get every time. And that's what we've gotten today. And I thank you for being a part of this. I thank you every each and every adorable boy disciple, each and every future adorable boy disciple. I thank you for inspiring me, for giving me as much as I give you. What a great situation we have working out worked out here. All right. So that on that note, we will end on that note of mutual mutual admiration. We're going to end this episode of the Adorable Boy Podcast. I want to thank you for joining me. We are coming back next week. And don't forget, Podtober is right around the corner. And boy, do I have some fun things planned for that. I think you can guess where I'm going. Um, anyway, get in touch with us, adorablepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, at Adorable Podcast on Twitter, AOL keyword, Adorable Boy Podcast. We will be back next week with more quality content, 100% kowtowing free. Thank you, Adorable Boy Disciples, for joining us. And we'll see you next time on the Adorable Boy Podcast.